Hello and welcome to the Glacier Valley Church of God. Today's podcast was recorded live on Sunday before a full church. If there's anything we can do to bless you, to pray for you, please contact us at 907-789-3605. Glacier Valley Church of God, a place of hope, a place of healing. share this with you. Has anybody else felt the attack of the enemy this week? Anybody else felt like the hot breath of the enemy on you this week? Well, I want to tell you, the enemy's on you because he knows his time is up, okay? He knows he's about to go through something, okay? See, that's how I know that I'm walking in the Lord's will is the heat gets turned up a little bit, okay? Yesterday, my wife did something that she should not have done. She asked me to take care of a portion of the cooking. Did you know that when you cook something, you actually have to turn the stove on? See, in my mind, I thought, I thought, I speak and it's on. <laughs> and apparently, apparently I didn't do it right. And, and, and I, you know, at first she was complimenting, oh, you did such a good job on the rice. I'm so proud of you. And I said, yes, I know I did good. I'm really good at cooking rice out of a box. Is that Uncle Ben's rice? You know, he's <laughs> like, you can't mess it up, but apparently I did. And so, and so I was like kind of bragging on myself a little bit. And we know pride goes before the fall. Well, I fell flat on my face. She goes, I didn't want to tell you, but you're an idiot. <laughs> no, she, no, she didn't say that. She goes, you got to turn the, the eye on. You got to cover it up so the rice does this. And all I heard was, you're amazing. I don't know what else she said. But uh, apparently... Apparently, you know, I, that you can't get something done unless you cook it. Amen? And I'm going to tell you this morning, some of us have been in the heat. Some of us have been in the fire. And the Lord is just saying, okay, I'm preparing you for something. I'm preparing you for something because I'm about ready to bless you. I'm about ready to bring you through something. And I'm about ready to do some things in your life that you never imagined before, okay? We don't need, we don't need to get down about life. Amen? This is a time of year. Spring is coming. Look how beautiful it is outside. Isn't that gorgeous? Man, I love Juno in the springtime. Look how beautiful it is up here on stage. <laughs> thank you, Randy. I appreciate that. Kind of weird, but okay, thank you. <laughs> well, man, listen, it is beautiful in Juno this time of year, right? Somebody's going to be asking me to go on a hike with them, and I will laugh in your face because I don't do hikes anymore, okay? But listen, it's a beautiful time of year, and I'm just thankful for what God is doing. I, and I just believe just, just like spring is a new time and new life comes forth, I believe that new life is going to come into you, and God is going to do things that he's never done before in your life, Amen. Let me ask you a question this morning, just simply by raising your hand. How many need something from God this morning? See, I'm raising my hand because I need something from God. I need something from God today, amen? Amen. Let's start today's sermon. I, that, was a, that, was, that part was free. That wasn't even part of my sermon. That was for free. You're going to get two sermons today, okay? All right, praise God. <laughs> praise God. We're going to talk about today. The redemption of the cross. John chapter 19. Thank you, Ezra, for reading a part of that scripture. I'm only going to read a part of what he did. John chapter 19, verses 17 through 18. We're going to talk about the cross this morning. Amen? And he, verse 17, and he, 
bearing his cross. There's a, there's a lot in that statement right there, and I, I, I really want to talk about that, but I need to go forward. Went out to a place called the place of a skull, which is in, called in Hebrew, Golgotha, where they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side and Jesus in the center. Father, I feel your Holy Spirit this morning, God. Lord, how anointed our worship was this morning, Father, as we gave you glory and we said that you are good, O oh God. You are good, Father. And Lord, I know that your love defends me, O oh God. So God, I'm asking you, Jesus, to anoint me with supernatural anointing. And I, I speak against any spirit that is in this room that would distract or dissuade us from your word this morning, God. Lord, I pray that we receive into our heart what you want to say, Lord. In your name I pray, amen. I want to be clear this morning. I'm going to share the word of God with you. It is not going to be with flowery words. It's not going to be with this great oratory skill. There's times that I mess up when I'm talking, okay? There's times I get tongue-tied. But what goes out is the word of God. And if you would allow the word of God to have his work in your heart, then it doesn't matter what I say, it matters what God is going to do in you, amen? And I want you to know that God has designed something in you this morning, amen? <laughs> Praise God. We've been talking about the last week of Jesus. And if you follow the history of that last week, this day would begin that last week. Technically, this is Palm Sunday, but there's certain things that I wanted to cover about that last week, and today I'm going to talk about the cross. I'm going to talk about the cross. Now, the cross didn't happen until Friday, and that's why we call it Good Friday, because it was a good Friday, amen? It was a good Friday. So I'm going to talk about the cross, but the act of the cross and the events leading up to it, in its simplest explanation that I can give you, it served as a reset button for humanity. It served as a reset button for humanity. Now, I want to make sure you understand that's the simplest way that I can explain it. Because at the rebellion of the tree in Genesis, when Adam and Eve ate of their fruit, the relationship between God and man was forever stained. The relationship between God and man was effectively severed. The relationship between God and man was at that point non-existent because of what happened in that tree. God gave them a command. He said, don't do it, and they did it anyway. And because of that rebellion, sin entered the world. And with sin coming into the world, all kinds of things came with it. There were curses placed upon the woman. There were curses placed upon the man. There were curses placed upon animals. There were curses placed upon the ground because sin was allowed into the world. Now, did God do this? No. Man did this. People always ask me, well, how can... A loving God allow these things to happen, and I will tell you, a loving God is trying to reconcile to us to bring us back to him. But it is us, it is man who made the decision not to serve God. You and I were born into it. David said this, in sin did my mother conceive me. That does not mean that his mother had him out of wedlock. What it means is that you and I are born into a sinful, decrepit world. 
I never thought in my life that I would see children being murdered by a sociopath and then people justifying that murder. I never thought I would see anarchy in our state capitals and in our national capital. I never see, thought that I would see the day that our nation would mock prayer, mock prayer, mock the things that we believe in. I never thought I would see Christianity attacked like I'm seeing it attacked now. Brothers and sisters, we are indeed in final times. Amen? Now, we could talk about and disagree about certain things about the events that have been happening, but I will tell you from the bottom of my heart, the devil is mad. He's coming against Christians, and you wait and see. It's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. I want you to know that because we live in a sinful world who has denied God and wants no part of him anymore. As a matter of fact, in Canada, there are certain places that you can't even talk about God. They're arresting preachers on the street in England, a nation that was founded with God. Amen? They are arresting preachers for using hate words. By the way, a hate word is simply saying that you can't be homosexual because the Bible teaches against it. And again, a lot of people are going to disagree with that, but I'm only saying what the Word of God says. We live in a world that has accepted and embraced sinful lifestyle and has denied the simple gospel of Christ. That is why things are happening in this world today. We are born into sin, brothers and sisters. We are born into a world that has denied God, here's how I can explain it the best way I can. Has anybody ever been around thorn bushes? You ever been around thorn bushes? You ever, you ever found yourself in the middle of thorn bushes and then you're trying to get out of the thorn bushes? What happens? You're going to get scratched. Right? You're gonna get you're gonna get you're gonna come out of there, you're gonna be bloody, you're gonna get scratched, and it's gonna hurt, and everywhere you everywhere you move to, you're either gonna get deeper into the thorns or you're gonna hurt more, right? I want to tell you that's what we are in right now. We are in the cursed world of thorns and sin, and the more that we try to extract ourselves, the more it hurts. Are you hearing me today? We are all born into this briar patch. We are all born in this briar patch of hurt and pain and sorrow. There is not one of us who is exempt from that. But the Lord came back to clear a path and deliver us from the hurt and the pain this morning. I want you to know that he has undid the curses of this world. He has undid the things of sorrow and pain. You say, well, wait a minute, Pastor. I still have sorrow and pain because we are not completed yet. See, there's an old song that says, no more crying there. I am going to see the king. No more crying there. I am going to see the king. Then it goes, no more dying there. I am going to see the king. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I am going to see the king. No more sorrow there. Come on, sing it. I am going to see. 
See, I feel like singing now. Sing it with me. No more sorrow there. I am going to see the king. You know, I'm singing now. No more sorrow there. We are going to see the king. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We're going to see the king. Come on, raise your hands right now and give him glory. I want to tell you that whatever you're going through, we are going to see the king. Amen. He gives us the precious balm of Gilead. Praise God. We need to quit worrying about the things that are bogging us down and understand that we have a Savior that loves us. But you know what happens when we're in sin? We experience shame. There's two words in the Bible that talks about the way that we feel. There's guilt. Guilt is conviction when you've done wrong. Guilt is conviction. If you were going to Fred Myers and you were to steal something from them and you got away with it, you would feel guilt. If you were to lie, you would feel guilt. That's guilt. That's conviction of sin. But then shame comes in. Shame is a little bit different because shame is where we feel bad about what we did. We feel embarrassed about what we did. And we can't seem to get over the guilt. See, God forgives the guilt, but shame we hold on to. Shame is from the devil. Because he doesn't want you to forget about your past. He doesn't want you to forget about the things that you've done wrong. I, I, we're going to be so shocked when we go to heaven. We ask God, hey, God, do you remember when I did that? He's going to go, no. Because he cast our sins in the sea of forgiveness. He does not remember our sins anymore. Amen. But did you know? Did you know that the word shame or ashamed, a variation of that word, appears in the Bible nine times more than the word guilt? For every one time that the word guilt appears, the word shame or ashamed appears nine times. Because after we sinned and we were born into this world, and we're talking about Adam and Eve, they were in shame. They were ashamed. And brothers and sisters, we are in shame. Here's the great thing. When he went to the cross, he delivered us from that. And I want to talk a little bit about what he did. First of all, he was beaten. Now, when I was a kid, my dad was working. He was working a lot of hours. And I, I did something wrong. I know that's hard to believe that I did anything wrong back then. I was really a perfect child. And... I did something wrong, and, and my mom felt the need to, to spank me. And her belt was probably about that thin. And I knew her strength, and I said, and I knew my dad's strength, and his belt was that thick. And I looked at my mom, I said, I think you need to do it. <laughs> and she went to spank me, and I fake cried. <laughs> oh, mom, this is terrible. Oh, Oh, God help me. And I started fake crying. And she felt so guilty until she realized I was faking. And, she, and then my dad came home. <laughs> there was a reckoning <laughs> that happened that day. I don't remember it. I think I woke up three days later. 
But we're not talking about a beating. We talk, you know, some of us think about the times that we were beaten as a child. Now, sometimes beating to some, there's abuse involved, and, and that's bad as well. And I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about something far worse. When they, when they beat Jesus because Pilate thought that he could just get rid of Jesus because they brought him up on these false charges. He says, I'm just going to get rid of him. I'm just going to have him beaten, and, and that will take care of everything. So he had his Roman soldiers, and these guys were far from home. Their friends had just been killed in an attack on them, and that's, if you read history books, you talk about that. So they were mad and frustrated, and they decided to take out all their frustration on this man Jesus, all their anger, being away from their family, being away from home. They had just been through an ambush, and a lot of their people were killed. And he says, I'm going to take out all my frustration. So they took this whip. And this whip had pieces of bone and pieces of glass, and all these things were sewn into it. And as they took it, it was like it's called the cat of nine tails. And as they took this beads or the whip, they tied him up on a pole. And they tied him up where his back was exposed and, and it was tight. And so as they took it, they would whip him one time, and the bone and the pieces of metal where they would they would dig into his flesh and they would rip out flesh. He endured that, I believe, for 39 times. And the beating was so severe, there was not a part of his body that was not affected that day. What would happen is as they, as they beat him, the, the whip would wrap around his body in all different places. It would wrap around his chest and his legs. There was not one part of his body that was not covered in bruise or bleeding. As a matter of fact, it was so bad that his internal organs were exposed. Do you know why he did that? See, when we fell, when Adam and Eve fell in the garden, our flesh was cursed. We were destined to not live forever like we did before. Sickness and disease, infirmities, cancer, any kind of deformity happening to the human body. One of the toughest things that I've had to do as a, as a man is to watch my parents get older and see them struggle. And that's the effect of sin, not because they're sinners. I don't mean to imply that, but that's the effect of sin has on our body. Our bodies are cursed. Some of you know what I'm talking about because you're suffering from disease today. Something's wrong in your body. But can I tell you that Jesus died for that? See, when Jesus died, when Jesus died, he undid the curse from that day. Isaiah 53.5, it's not going to be up here, just listen to me. He says, but he, this is Isaiah prophesying was about to happen. He says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. Oh, praise God. See, Jesus, before you and I were even born, before you and I were even born, there was a strand of that beating that had my name on it. 
Are you listening to me this morning? There was a strand of that whip that had my name on it. It had your name on it. And as that ripped across his flesh, Jesus said, this blood is for you. This blood is for you. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And I love this right here. And by his stripes we are healed. Well, Pastor, I'm not healed. I have a sickness and I don't have healing yet. See, healing means many different things. It can mean our physical bodies, but really what it means, it means our restoration to God. It means our reconciliation back to God. See, it took the blood of a perfect man. It took the blood of a perfect man to reconcile us back to God. Jesus was 100% man, but he was also 100% God. He was divinely appointed and anointed by the Holy Ghost to be that proxy for us, amen, to be that atonement for us, to be that middleman for us, to rescue us, to redeem us, and to die for us. He bled for us. He bled for us. He bled for us. He bled for us. Can you imagine someone stepping in and taking your punishment for you? People say, "Oh, I'm a, I'm a good pa- I'm a good person, Pastor." Can I can I tell you you're not? You know how I know you're not? You've already broken the Ten Commandments. Every one of us has. Has anybody in here lied? Yeah, we've broken the law, right? And if you break one commandment, we're guilty of all of them. That's the law. Do you know why? Because God is holy. Well, you're thinking, well, well, wait a minute. Why would God do that, knowing that we can never meet that? He knew we couldn't meet it, but he had to establish the standard. Am I establishing the standard? He sent his son to be perfect for us. Now, I want you to understand something. God sent his son in your place. When the moment that Adam and Eve fell, God was already devised in a plan to bring us back together. God was already working out something. He says, I'm going to send my son Jesus, and he's going to bleed. He's going to bleed and be beaten horribly. The modern, or the historian at that time, Josephus, said he was beaten so bad he was unrecognizable. Unrecognizable. Then they put a crown of thorns on his head. See, thorns represent the earth. Listen to what he says in Genesis chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. He says, then he, to Adam, he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns. Did you hear that? Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the herb of the field. The very land was cursed because of our sin. But when Jesus put on the crown of thorns, praise God, 
he undid that curse. Every curse that was placed in Genesis, Jesus said, I got that. I got that. We're going to roll that back. There's going to be no more curse. He rolled back. He rolled back the pain of sin and death. He rolled back the pain of sickness and sorrow. He rolled back the curse of the earth. Amen. God has delivered us from all these things. Praise God. As he's going to, to the crucifixion, Pilate offered one last choice to the people. He offered up this man named Barnabas. Barnabas was a killer. Barnabas was a man who was a murderer. He was a horrible man. He was rebellious. He caused a revolt and people were killed. He had no regard for human life. All he cared about was himself. And Pilate says, I'm going to bring you the worst possible person. And I'm going to say, who do you want? He said this to the mob. Who do you want me to crucify? I have Barabbas, this horrible person, or I have Jesus in whom I find no fault. The crowd, as you know, chose Barabbas. Jesus, once again, undoes the curse of the rejection of the garden. See, when Adam and Eve... When Adam and Eve sinned, they were cast from the garden. They were separated. But Jesus took upon himself the sin of Barabbas. He took upon himself the sin of this world. And he says, I will be the sacrifice for you. See, so many people tell me that I'm so bad, God will never forgive me. That's not true. That's the devil lying to you. See, Jesus, Jesus died for everybody. If, I'm using this as an example because I want you to understand, if Hitler asked Jesus to forgive him before he died, now I know how he died, so just bear with me. If Hitler asked Jesus to forgive him, he would. It doesn't matter how bad you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter who you've hurt. I don't care if you've been to jail or you haven't been to jail. I don't care what's happened in your life. Now, I don't say that like I don't care about you, but there's no excuse. Jesus died for you. He took your place, amen? He was the substitute. I want you to understand the significance of that this morning. Because what we do it's just like the mob. We reject Jesus every day. We say, no, we don't want Jesus. Give us Barabbas. Give us the murderer. Give us the abuser. Give us this man who was horrible. We don't want Jesus. That's what we do when we don't accept him. If you accept Jesus... I want you to know this morning that he has died in your place and he is reaching out to you even right now. He is calling your name. He is saying, come to me, come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest for my burden is easy and my yoke is light. In other words, it's gonna be easier, amen? It doesn't mean that you're not gonna go through trials, but you're gonna be walking with the Son of God through your trial, amen? You're not gonna get out of the thorn bush by yourself. Amen. I was watching as my dad was struggling to move around in the hospital bed. I was watching the nurses come in 
And I tell you, I just I, I, I appreciate the nurses. They were so loving and kind to my dad because he couldn't do anything on his own. And they just loved on him. And when he got a little frustrated, they just put their hand on his shoulder and they just kind of calm him down a little bit. Because it's, it can be frustrating not being able to do what you want to do or what you've always been able to do, right? And so they would just kind of calm him down a little bit and he'd be fine. And, and, and as they would leave, they would give him kind words of support. Hey, man, I want you to understand, in the same way, when we go through trials and we can't get, seem to get ahead and we're frustrated, there is Jesus and the Holy Spirit right beside us come on, you can do this. Come on, I got you. I'm right here beside you. You're not alone. You're not alone. You're not alone. That's the biggest problem we face today is where we feel like, and the devil has lied to us, we feel like that we're alone, don't we? The devil has lied to us to say there's nobody that cares about you, nobody loves you, and I want to tell you this morning, not only do I love you, not only does this church love you, but my heavenly Father loves you, amen? My heavenly Father loves you. He bankrupted heaven to send his son down for you today. See, he became the embodiment of sacrifice. He became the embodiment of whatever it means to simply show his love. The other thing that he undid, and I mentioned this earlier about shame, is he undid shame. See, listen to this. Immediately when Adam and Eve ate the apple, they experienced shame. Verses 10 and 11 of chapter 3, it says, So he said, I've heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. And I hid myself. Adam felt that shame. Adam didn't have any clothes on. And Adam knew, hey, something's not right. All of a sudden, I was just walking around, no big deal, but all of a sudden, I've been exposed, literally. I have nothing on, and my eyes have been opened, and I'm ashamed. But see, Jesus, praise God. Jesus went to the cross we see those pictures of Jesus on the cross, and he has the modesty cloth. You, you know what I'm talking about? He has a little modesty cloth. He didn't have a modesty cloth. He was nude. He was naked. Adam and Eve were naked, but they were by themselves in the garden. There was no one else around them, and they were still ashamed. But Christ went to the cross naked for us. He was there in front of everybody, nude. He took that shame upon us, the shame of actually being crucified, the shame of not having any clothes on. He took that shame for us so that we don't have to have shame anymore, brothers and sisters. We carry something that we don't have to carry. I want you to know that he took that upon him. I want you to know he took that shame. You know what the Bible says in Hebrews? The Bible says that he embraced the shame. See, now, that just blows me away. Because there's certain things that I can't stomach, like blood, 
we were at the hospital. There was some bleeding involved, and I just turned away, and I walked away. I said, I can't, I can't deal with that. And, you know, the doctors were laughing at me. They thought I was silly, but I just I can't handle that kind of stuff, right? But here, Jesus, he's embracing that shame. The cross, the cross. It was embarrassing to go to the cross. It was, it was humiliation for the family. But Jesus did it for you. And, and on top of that, he had no clothes on. And he did that so that you could understand what it's like that you don't have to feel shame anymore. And I was talking about earlier with the shame that I felt about, you know, seeing certain things, you know, like the blood and all that. I just don't like any of that. But that's the way we are. We, we carry this stuff in our heart, like stuff from our past, things that we've done, things that keeps us from a relationship with God. And I want you to understand, I, I know that we feel this way because sometimes you ever told somebody about your past and they look at you like you're weird? They're like, oh, okay, I don't want to be around you anymore. That's a little too much for me. You ever, that ever happened to you? Maybe it's just me. <laughs> but see, Jesus, when you tell him what you've been through, first of all, he already knows it. You know what he does? He pulls you closer. Isn't that weird? But, you know, you don't understand, Jesus. I, I, I did some horrible things. I, you know, I, I did this or I did that. And, 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 and there's some things that I, I, I you know, I, I wish I wouldn't have done. And Jesus just pulls us closer. Can, can you, I want you to feel that. There's nothing that you've done. Paul said this, for I am persuaded. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities, and he goes on, he lists all these things, shall separate us, shall separate us from the love of God. Nothing that you've done, brothers and sisters, will keep you from the love of God. But I feel the hesitancy to embrace that because you're mad at God. And I want to tell you, the only one we should be mad at is the devil. The only one we should be mad at is ourselves because we're the reason we made the choice. Or maybe maybe it seems like the choice was made for us, and that may be true, but we're still sinners. Amen? The Bible says in Psalms, there is no one that is good, not one. If you have lied, if you have stolen, if you have not uh, treated the Lord like he is the, the only God, if you've had idols in your life, and I know we've had idols in our life, amen? If we've done those things, then we are sinners. But I want to tell you this morning, the whole reason Jesus came, the whole reason he came and started undoing the things that were done in the garden is so that he can restore us to that moment in the garden. That's why it is a reset moment. The Bible talks about how the Father would come down and talk with them in the middle of the day, and they would have communion, and they would have a relationship. I remember this old psalm. He walks with me. He talks with me and tells me that I am his own. Praise God. When you have that relationship to Jesus, you don't have to hide your head. You don't have to hang your head. All you got to do is look at him and say, hey, I need you. Well, Lord, you know, I did this, and I'm, I'm ashamed of it. 
I did this, and I don't, I don't think that I'm worthy to be in a relationship with you. The story of the prodigal son is one of the most amazing stories because the young man had left his father. And in the Hebrew tradition, when you leave your father like that, you're, you're considered dead. They actually have a funeral for you. But as the young man came home because he was desperate, he says, I'll just be a slave. I'll just, I'll just you know, be a servant. The father ran to him. The father ran to him, which they don't do. He ran to him and he embraced him. And the son, you know, he had rehearsed his speech and he says, I'm ready to be a serve. I'm not worthy to be called your son. You know what the father did? He says, bring me a robe and put it on him. Because his clothes were tattered. I need to cover him up to cover his shame. Oh, praise God. I need to cover up and cover his shame. He says, then I want you to bring in a ring, and I want you to put it on his finger. That ring signified he was a part of something. That ring signified that he belonged in the family once more. He might have been dead at one point, but he was restored, and now he was, he was fully restored, and he was now a son. Amen? And then... And then the son is like trying to say something. He goes, shh, shh, I'm talking here. Hey, go get the fatted calf. We're going to have a celebration, okay? And, and, my, and he says, my son was dead, but now he has come home. We are restored, amen? We are restored. See, I know I get a little happy about that, but you don't know what I've been through. Just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean I haven't had a life. Amen? Maybe that's why I'm a little too passionate sometimes. <laughs> There's things about me that I probably won't be able to share for a long time. But I know that every time Jesus looks at me, he doesn't see that part of me. You know what he sees? He sees something clean. He sees something clean. See, when you have sin in your life, you can try to explain it away with logic. Man, I tell you what, sometimes we're too logical for our own good. We try to logic things away. We try to science things away. I, I get tired of this thing that says believe the science because two years ago the science was different. So what do I believe? i tell you what I believe. I believe in the Word of God, which is never changing. The Word of God never changes, amen? The Word of God is the Word of God, amen? Believe the science. I'm not believing anything that changes its mind every two years. But if we put our hope and our faith in Jesus, he restores. He heals. He heals. He heals. He heals. See, I keep bringing up my dad because I'm trying to make a point. My dad has difficulty walking, and I'm not sure, you know, if he's going to be able to walk. But I know there'll be a day where I'm going to see him running in heaven. 
Amen? If there's a track team, he's going to be a part of it. Amen? And I say that in jest, but I want you to know that our bodies break down because of age. But when we get to heaven, our bodies are going to be renewed. When we get to heaven, we're going to be a whole new creation. When we get to heaven, I'm not going to deal. I'm not going to deal with being fat anymore. I'm going to have a new body. And I can eat all the sugar I want. (laughs) I probably have cheesecake and give it to Will because he'll like cheesecake up there. And then he'll give me tomatoes, and I'll say no. We believe in a God that heals, amen? Some of you are, now listen, some of you are walking around with burdens. I remember this old song, and you hear me do a lot of old songs when I preach. It says simply this, take your burdens to the Lord and leave it there. Take your burdens to the Lord and leave it there. Leave it there, leave it there, leave it there. Take your burdens to the Lord and leave it there. Brothers and sisters, that's why we have an altar, amen? We take our burdens, we take our heart to the Lord. I want you to know that when Jesus finally died on the cross, there was a veil that separated the outer court or the inner court to the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies is where they offer the sacrifice. That's where the Ark of the Covenant, when there was a six-inch veil that separated those two rooms. And when Jesus died, that veil was torn from the top to the bottom. In other words, we now have access to God. I want you to hear me when I say that. Did you know? In the Hebrew faith, if you wanted your sins to be forgiven, you had to bring a lamb or a or goat or something, depending on the sin. It was very complicated. You had to know what you were doing. And you had to bring it, and it had to be approved, and some other person had to offer the sacrifice in your place and pray to God in your place. I want you to know that because of the death of Jesus, and we're going to talk about next week the resurrection, because of the death of Jesus, You don't have to come to me to ask your sins to be forgiven. You don't have to come to me to be prayed for. Now listen, it doesn't mean that I won't pray with you. Amen? It doesn't mean that I won't pray for you, but your healing or your restoration is not dependent upon me. You don't have to go through me. You have direct access to the Father this morning. Amen? You have direct access to the Father. The moment... The moment you say the name Jesus, oh man, say that with me again, Jesus, 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 there's just something about, Master, Savior, Jesus. Man, does anybody else feel the Lord in this place this morning? Hallelujah. I want to tell you this morning, there is only one way to the Father, the Restorer. He wants to walk with you in the garden. He wants to love you. He wants to help you this morning. He wants to be there for you. I want you to stand with me as we close this service. We're going to close it with a song.
Thank you for listening to our service. Be sure to catch the video edition of this on either YouTube or Facebook Live. Again, if you need prayer, contact us at 907-789-3605. May God richly bless you in all things.